From Washington, this is the Macrocast, a podcast brought to you by Penta and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, October 7th, and you're listening to the Penta Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald in for Tony Fratto this week. I'm here with John Fagan from Markets Policy Partners. It's Jobs Day. It is a uh, skeleton crew macrocast here before the three day weekend. Um, uh, Tony is do our uh, best. Tony is off at Pitt at a board meeting. Brendan is where's Brendan? He's out of the country. Mexico City. Some meetings in Mexico City. Well, jobs don't wait for the macrocast, so <laughs> we will we will press on. Uh, over to you, Matt, to give the headline numbers. Thank you, Matt. Okay, we've got uh, the jobs numbers this week was 263,000 new jobs. Uh, unemployment went down to 3.5%. Um, a couple of pieces under the hood. Uh, labor force declined, which is not great. That was down uh, 57,000. Um Interestingly, a lot of the job gains, you know, 263,000, uh, I feel like is a, I don't know, normal jobs number for normal times kind of thing, even though that's not what we're living through. But uh, big gains were driven by leisure and hospitality and healthcare, kind of the two sectors that were hard hit by the pandemic continuing to heal. Healthcare is now fully recovered to pre-pandemic levels. Leisure and hospitality is actually still off. Um Hourly wage gains continued upward, um, 0.3% on the month, 5% year over year. Um, John, I mean, we've had, we also had JOLTS numbers this week, ADP numbers. There's been a lot of jobs data this week. I would say that the actual jobs report is probably cold comfort compared to where the Fed would like to see it land. What's, what's your take, John? Yeah, certainly this is uh, not a Goldilocks report from the uh, from the perspective of the Fed. It is, you know, it is a it's it's a strong labor market. It's a strong non-farm payroll report, and uh, and the brisk uh, average hourly earnings decline yep. in unemployment rate. I think the decline in unemployment rate is probably the the one that's uh, getting the most reaction out of the markets. Yeah, if we saw more uh, gains in the labor force with the same headline numbers, I think it would be fine. But this all points toward continued labor market pressure that that I doesn't, I mean, based off Fed signals, doesn't point away from another 75 basis point hike. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and Federal Reserve officials have been out this week and really hammering on the uh, on the hawkish message again, you know, and uh, and I think that you know, there was there was coming into this number, we did have some lead up and with some varied and divergent kind of signals from the jobs market. Now, with the, obviously with the caveat that most labor market data tends to be the most back among the most backward looking and macro indicators, which we yeah. said before. Yeah. But this the week kicked off on uh, on on Tuesday, which seems like quite a while ago at this point, with a very uh, a very eye popping decline in job openings. The job openings and labor turnover survey, jolts, uh, gave uh, gave the markets a jolt and a positive one. Uh, yeah. And it was, you know, just to, just to go back and look at it, it was a 1.1 million decline in uh, the number of U.S. job openings to 10.1 million in August. 
Uh, that's the lowest level since June of 2021. So it's not exactly like, and it's coming off, you know, a very high, uh, and I think uh, uh, record, yeah, record levels of 11.9 million back in March. Uh, and so it's not not that far off record levels. Yeah, it's but super still, interesting. Like a notable, yeah, a notable shift. It's super interesting your point on on which of these indicators are backward looking, which of these indicators are forward looking. We have a lot of lag effects in Fed policy itself. I mean, the um, you know the the jolts has a quality of kind of like jobs that companies couldn't fill to begin with, and maybe they're like, well, the economic forecast is you know more uncertain. So I'm just going to close this job opening. You know, Meta made headlines with uh, the not, I guess, I don't know if it was rescinding offers for their for the interns or something like that. I mean, tech has been leading the way on some of the hawkish approach to the labor market over time. But, you know, the forward looking signals and the backward looking signals are all it's pointing in kind of different directions. Yeah, that's right. And uh, really, the very next day after the jolts data came, the ADP that privately, the, the payrolls giant that privately compiled uh, version of the uh, of the non-farm payrolls, which is sort of notorious for giving traders false signals. Uh, but not this time. It was no, really it was on, on the screws uh, with uh, expectations over two uh, on the slightly strong side of expectations at two hundred plus k uh, new jobs, consistent with what the message that we saw. From this non-farm payrolls number for September, and uh, you know the the more high frequency one came in on Thursday. It's that weekly jobless benefits, which ticked up uh, a little bit higher than expected. But again, you know we're talking about very low levels, and uh, and the trend which we'd seen sort of developing over the spring and summer of rising unemployment benefits, which would suggest a softening in the labor market, has sort of come into a you know a bit of a choppy sideways and and less clearly trending. Uh, uh, motif here. So, you know, there, there's nothing here. The Fed had really the bit between its teeth when it came to, uh, yeah. when it comes to tightening and there's nothing in here to, uh, to, uh, to rein them in. Uh, absolutely. You know, the, the, uh, as you said, Matt, the opposite is, is to be true. This is going to uh, more, uh, this is going to solidify their, uh, their, their hawkish intent here, but we do have some really big numbers next week. And we can talk about that, but essentially, you know, drum roll, please. It's another CPI number. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the PPI data. So, you know, everything, everything we're saying now is subject to change on the basis of that particular number. Yeah. You know, it is, I mean, the one thing I would say, uh, as an interesting indicator within the jobs number, despite the kind of 263 being a a solid number for a normal time. And I do think the labor force drop is like the real red flag in this whole exercise. The leisure, I mentioned leisure and hospitality and healthcare. You know, those sectors combined in this whole number was 143,000. So you kind of, if you X that out of the 263 headline, you're kind of at a hundred and change outside of these kind of pandemic healing sides of things. So it'll be interesting to see where the coming months land on some of this stuff. But, you know, as as we still as we kind of progress towards the the back end of the labor disruption of the pandemic and all that sort of stuff, you know, some of the stuff may normalize. I do think that, you know, we went through this exercise <clears throat> during the um, financial crisis and the years after that is that the the healing of that took so long that some of the um, 
big demographic shifts in like baby boomer retirement and that sort of stuff actually changed the denominator of the jobs like recovery over time. And it it feels like we're getting a little bit of that with the pandemic is that, you know, you start to get several years out of it and, you know, the aging of the workforce and stuff starts to kick in and there's just you're, you're kind of you're you're solving against a different um, a different labor force over time, which is interesting. Absolutely. And estimates for sort of missing immigrants, the uh, the immigration that uh, and, and yes. didn't occur uh, has uh, has been a, a factor that people have pointed to as well. Yeah. Uh, the difficulties uh, of, of women in particular getting back into the workforce at a time when you have lots of you know, you still have yeah. lots of lots of uncertainties around the, the health situation and the situation in schools and, and uh, care for relatives and these kind of you know demands around the home. Uh, it's a it is a it's an unprecedented labor situation. Uh, the Fed is looking at it through an inflationary lens, and this still looks like an inflationary and tight job market. Uh, yeah. You know, despite all these uh, all these factors, we are going to get, and we have heard this drumbeat of more corporate management coming out and saying, you know, we're battening down the hatches uh, for some challenging and choppy weather ahead, 2023. A lot of companies have sort of pulled their guidance. We've been hearing some high profile. <laughs> Uh, you know, not necessarily big layoffs, uh, although some some of that is filtering through, but uh, hiring freezes and so forth. Yeah. Facebook was very prominent. Meta, sorry, Meta, very yeah. prominent in, uh, in Don't that. knock the rebrands, John. Come on. <laughs> right. Everybody needs a, a freshen up from time to time. <laughs> that's, that that is that's true. So, uh yeah, the, well, earnings season actually third quarter uh, earnings reporting starts next week. So uh, next week is a humongous macro week, uh, and uh, with CPI, PPI, with the Fed minutes of September coming out, with um, and with earnings, it kicks off with mega banks. But eventually, you know, in the ensuing weeks, we'll get into these, uh, you know, the industrials and retail. Uh, and they're going to have a lot to say uh, on the on the subject. We heard, you know, FedEx management coming out uh, and sort of preemptively, uh, you know, giving giving their sort of off. They've got sort of an off fiscal year, so their earnings are a little bit out of phase. And it was very dismal listening to uh, their CEO uh, forecasting a worldwide recession in the yeah. coming. Yeah, it's there's there you know there's a uh, there's a CEO survey uh, that came out. I guess it was this week that you know upward of 80% of global CEOs anticipate a recession. I mean, that's that's where kind of the planning is. So I don't know, even if the uh, the job market may not have gotten the, the cue from the Fed, the CEOs of, of companies certainly seem to have. I, I, I don't, I mean, it all, it all kind of begs the question of how you kind of manage all of this and how you land the plane in terms of, um, you know, expectations of the economy are shifting, you know, which we've talked about the importance of expectations in the inflation management game. Um, but you still have kind of the momentum of the job market. And obviously, like the Fed has gone out of their way to say that they're not trying to cause a recession, but they've also been pretty clear that inflation is priority one, two, and three. And if, if you know, things go a little rough on the on the back end, so be it. Yeah, and we've seen that commentary really be redoubled this week. Uh, you know, it was uh, last night. It was Governor Waller, uh, and uh, we've just seen a parade of of, uh, of Fed speakers. Even some of the do relatively dovish uh, officials, like uh, Chicago Fed President Evans and San Francisco Fed President Daly, 
really pushing on, uh, you know, the, the work isn't done and inflation is nowhere near uh, where they need it to be and tightening is going to continue. Interestingly enough, just in the nuances, they've begun to focus a lot on 2023 and talking about how they are, you know, that rate cuts are, are you know, do not expect rate cuts in 2023, which is what the futures market is expecting. Yeah. Uh, and so when the futures market has the, you know, rates going up to sort of four four and a half percent and then coming back down uh, and starting cuts in this in summers, you know, as early as the summer, that's that's essentially a, uh, you know, an affront to the Fed. Uh, it's saying that they're uh, that they're going the, the Fed is taking a very, uh, very, you know, powerful line against this, uh, against the way the market's positioning on this. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I like buy the Fed line on that. I feel like that is a, I mean, tomorrow is tomorrow. I feel like they're definitely focused on reestablishing Fed credibility. But if inflation is back under control and they get it, they get that done. And then the economy is sucking wind. I, I don't see a scenario where they stay at high interest rates out of principle. Like that's not, that doesn't, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I mean the the other the other thing that Fed speakers have had to address is uh, the financial market disorder, and they yeah. haven't really addressed. And they, and they they have they've addressed it by not addressing it essentially, yeah. and saying yeah. nothing to see here. The U.S. markets look fine, yeah. and it's not the U.S. markets where the disorder is. It's of course in <laughs> Credit Suisse. It's in the U.K. Yeah. The, yeah. the parade of governments that have had to intervene since the Fed September meeting. Uh, to steady their currencies, that's not a uh, that's not a coincidence uh, that all of those intervention uh, efforts uh, followed that September decision, which redoubled the hawkishness uh, of the Fed. You're getting yep. uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen came out with a speech yesterday that basically said you've got to policymakers have to keep forging ahead to you know suppress inflation, but they have to do so with sensitivity toward the spillover effects. And yeah. uh, she knows something about that. She was, uh, you know, she started her hiking cycle in late 2015 yeah. and then had to put it on hold for a year. Um, well, I would, I mean, I would even argue just to, just to modify that, that sure spillover effects are bad, but it's actually the feedback loop. That's actually the thing to really focus in on. I mean, like I, you know, the fed look for, for, Fundamental purposes, the Fed's responsibility is the U.S. economy, and they have and they have to get inflation under control. And I get all that. Um, they want to be mindful to the extent that they can of those spillover effects on the rest of the world, and that's that is true. But even more uh, relevant is in a interconnected global economy. To the extent that the Fed's impact of the Fed policy on other economies is detrimental. And then those economies in turn result in a drag on the US economy. That's that's a feedback cycle that, you know, on some level leads to the kind of inflationary, de-inflationary de or de-escalation of inflationary impact that the Fed is looking for, right? Um, but that's a hard thing to measure and hard to kind of like, again, with all the lag effects in place with all this stuff, it's very difficult to actually do in a in a uh, measured way. Yeah. And by going at a completely breakneck pace, irregardless and heedless of the spillover effects. And just as you say, the the, the feedback loop. If that- you're going to say irregardless, you have to say it with a heavy Boston accent, though. <laughs> 
my 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 Boston accent can definitely reemerge <laughs> at strategic times, usually after I've had a cold, a few cold Let, ones. Let's uh, talk about let's <laughs> talk about uh, I mean, while we're on the subject of global, um, I do want to talk about OPEC. Let's uh, take a quick break and come back and talk about the uh, the energy markets, which have, you know are clearly tied into a lot of the geopolitics and a lot of the uh, inflationary cycles that we're seeing. Uh, this is the Macrocast. We'll be back. Every two weeks, Penta measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations toward the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by Penta, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us at pentagroup.co. Welcome back to the Macrocast. Matt McDonald here with with John Fagan and and nobody else on this uh, holiday Friday, but we're powering on, delivering the insights and news that everybody <laughs> counts on us for um john hit me on energy markets and opec and and what went down this week yeah we've seen uh, so just to set the scene energy markets have been extremely choppy this year we've seen the the big peaks and spikes in um in natural gas futures particularly in the eu because of uh, everything that's happening with russia weaponizing supply has traded like a cryptocurrency and not a uh, not a not a good cryptocurrency at that and uh you know the that has obviously had some gravitational pull on uh, on crude markets um, oil prices uh, skied up, and you got Brent, you know, knocking on the door of 140 dollars a barrel over the uh, over the sort of spring summer period. Now, you know, things have things have calmed down uh, considerably. You know, we have experienced a you know a what would you know a massive level decline. We're down uh, in the mid 90s in Brent, which is not historically cheap by any stretch of the imagination, but, uh, but certainly represents an enormous, uh, downtrend from those peaks from earlier this year. And, uh, and so this is, uh, we're getting into a territory where OPEC had been playing ball, uh, reintroducing and, and winding up its supply cuts from the COVID era, uh, when it, uh, when it curtailed production in order to support prices. And, uh, obviously, you know, that, that policy isn't really fit for purpose now, but, you know, they're back, uh, this week in the, uh, in the output cutting game. Now, this was a, uh, this was forecast and and projected pretty clearly by the OPEC uh, ministers talking ahead of the meeting. There was an estimation that about 500,000 barrels uh, was what they would cut. Uh, but they progressively over the course of last weekend, the headlines kept upping the ante. It went to it went to one million barrels. It went to one and a half million barrels. And ultimately, they cut two million barrels. Um, you know, with that kind of you know, with that kind of aggression, that kind of messaging, you know, the you would think that, you know, maybe there was a there was quite a big volatility spike in in oil markets. And actually, that wasn't the case. We did see uh, Brent rebound and it is continuing to rebound. Um, it's it had gone from sort of high 80s and it's uh, and it's around 95 right now. So obviously on the upside, but not spiking by any stretch of the imagination. And part of that is because there's some ambiguity as to really what this two million barrels per day cut means, because they were producing, you know, 3.6 million barrels less than their quota already. And so is this basically just, you know, a kind of 
accepting of reality yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and going back and it's really not going to make big, or are they, you know, UAE and, uh, and Saudi and Russia going to cut on top of, are they going to do the cuts? And, this is a really interesting kind of signal versus the noise question uh, altogether. I mean, it, you know, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very interesting. Like the, when you think about some of the shifts from pandemic to post pandemic, when you think about, you know, the Russia Europe energy situation is centered more around gas than it is around oil. You've, you've got like changing behaviors and changing consumption. You've got supply chain shifts. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting environment. And I do, I do think that there's like, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't know, escalation on the headline of OPEC cuts versus kind of like where this actually lands in terms of the economy. It's, it's an interesting question. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, the, as you say, the, the the messaging and the you know the and the substance the difference between signal and noise obviously there's a lot of noise around what this means geopolitically and yes. uh, you know the Biden administration was quick to come out and condemn this decision uh, you know calling it short sighted and uh, and essentially saying that that OPEC is complicit with Russia's weaponization of uh, of energy markets now that's not yeah. what OPEC said of course their justification was. The, the global economy is careening toward a recession in 20 in 2023. And, you yeah. know, we're we're back. They're not the only ones. Like, they're not the only ones noticing that. Either. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's as there's, discussed. Absolutely. And there's certainly a, a, a more than a kernel of truth in that. Obviously, they're just joining the ranks of more and more CEOs that are doing exactly and business leaders and, and so forth that are doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. But the, the messaging and like that. You can you can accomplish things in two ways, just like the Fed can hit, you know, the head, the Fed can hit four point five percent, you know, whether they do seventy five at the next meeting or whether they do 50 and gradually get up there. And in some, you know, in the current case, it may be more likely that they get to four fifty if they go slowly. And that's the kind of thing with OPEC, which is, you know, why do two million now? Um, You know, why why put that message out there when you are, you know, when it's when it's so tied up with this, uh, with this Russia, uh, and, uh, this, this, this Russian question. And, uh, yeah. and that's, you know, the, the, the assumption is that the Saudis are trying to send a message to the U S which is, you know, we're, we're not really on your side on this one. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's an, the, the, all of this is very interesting when you think about kind of the lag effects, the geopolitics, the different agendas and that sort of stuff. It all, it all has a quality of like a, you know, it's a bit of a coordinated game and whether it's the Fed or the Saudis or, or what have you is that um, big moves in a coordinated game are very, are very difficult. You know, there's, there's some, there's some element of um, if you want to, if you want to land the plane cleanly on all this stuff, you need to give people time to adjust to different scenarios and kind of like forecast different scenarios and have every, all the different players uh, change expectations and what, what in the direction they're going and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and it really is, you know, the lack of coordination on the side of the, of the sort of West. I mean, it's, it's really notable in terms of how, you know, disparate the, you know, just from the UK to EU to the U S the ways in which, you know, we've grappled 
in and and with the inflation problem it has yep. you know seemed more you know suboptimally like an every every man for himself kind of scenario where everybody's right. dealing with their own set of problems and not really looking up and this was you know the the where's the, the committee to save the world when you need it that's what well, i want to know <laughs> we've got we've got the imf and world bank annual <laughs> meetings next week and so this is so next week let's <laughs> let's put it all together cp us cpi and ppi and we've got start of earnings, we've got Fed minutes, and we have bank fund. And oh, and by the way, the Bank of England's bond buying program, which it needed to bail out its pension yeah. <laughs> its pension system from yeah. having a meltdown, uh, is uh, winds up on Friday. Uh, and one would assume that given the given the fact that uh, bond markets are uh, back into, uh, you know, a little bit of turbulence here, that there is going to have to be some sort of lengthier countermeasure. I assume that the bank fund meetings, which are the first one in person since like, I guess it would be the fall of the fall meetings of 2019. Uh, this is the first truly in-person one. And one would assume that uh, that we're going to have some very lively conversations and, you know, watch this space. Potentially, they're that this is an opportunity for for leaders to come out with a greater you know a more shared sense and coordinated sense of purpose uh, against these really big challenges they're facing. Well, I'm glad. I mean, the silver lining is that uh, the gang will have plenty to talk about when they all return from their their various uh, commitments <laughs> this week. So that's good. When is the what is the date of Do you know the date of the next Fed meeting? When is that actually? It's like November second or third. Yeah. So yeah. So we still got we still got a period of time. We've got some, uh, but you know, between now and then, the the Fed messaging seems to be pretty much set, which is we're going to. Well, go I think that hammer it, tongs and yeah, we'll and between. and that was the message coming in strong to this jobs report, and with this jobs report landing where it is, it doesn't feel like they're going to be shying away from that at all. No, and uh, and I think that you know. The, the next week's CPI really will and yes, really will be a, a, a big difference maker potentially. So uh, could could change the could change the uh, the tone in markets on a dime, um, truly. But uh, but, you know, this this puts us on on uh, another track to 75 basis points. But, you know, between now and then we're seeing, you know, clearly the reaction volatility resurgent, the dollar, um, you know, punching back up toward its multi-decade highs. And, uh, you know, you got to watch. You know, you got to watch the uh, the bond markets, and the, I mean, it, there's now headlines in the EU, of course, about you know the the credit worthiness of Credit Suisse and some of the other major um, yeah. uh, major banks there. That's uh, not that's a all we picture. need. Yeah, that's that's not a pretty picture, and uh, and you know, renewed renewed stress in um, in global currency and bond markets um, between now and then is uh you know could could be a factor um and uh, and we'll see we we, we what we haven't heard we've heard a lot we always hear a lot of fed chatter but we haven't heard uh uh chair powell talk about his take on financial uh, global financial stability and spillover slash feedback risks and uh, yes. so that will be telling yes all right that is that is uh that's enough for one week and and plenty to come in the weeks ahead. Thanks everybody for tuning into the Macrocast. I'm Matt McDonald with Penta, John Fagan with Markets Policy Partners. Have a great long weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share. 